Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this season, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on every single goddamn page in a trio of adventure modules for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes RPG, starting with Adventure MT1, All This and World War II. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. All This and World War II was written by Ray Winninger and published in 1989 by TSR. Today we're discussing page 28 of All This and World War II. Today contains the bulk of chapter 9, colon, Kruptman's Castle. This is the scene where you go to Klaus Kruptman's house. Believe it or not, this is the convergence point. This is where the various branches of the clue trail all come together. No matter how you proceed through this adventure, you must end up searching Klaus Kruptman's personal effects in his home because that's how superheroes operate. But I'm not even mad. I don't even care. Not only because the concept of a premixed store-bought Moscow mule is rapidly winning me over, but also because I finally get to tell you about all the dumb shit I have had to ignore up to this point because I wanted to avoid spoilers. Now, the characters don't learn everything in this scene, but they learn enough for me to circle back and explain how fucking ludicrous this plot has been. Let's let's set the scene first. I, I return you to page 27. Let's ease ourselves in. Our heroes go to Kruptman's home address, which they can acquire from anyone in New Mexico. The book says, quote, Kruptman lives in a large home located just outside of the Albuquerque city limits, about a 15-minute drive from the test facility. Getting out to the house should be no problem. Remember that the heroes have a van at their disposal. (laughs) Just a helpful reminder from the author there so we don't get stuck. We've got Vision, Wonder Man, and Scarlet Witch just standing there, shrugging their shoulders, looking around, scanning the desert. Like, what now? We need to get to his house, but, but, but it's not on the base. I don't see it. What are we going to do, everybody? The author's like, Psst, remember, I gave you a van so you could drive to the house. So the heroes drive in the van to Kruptman's house, and they get the following read aloud text. Quote, Kruptman's home is a large suburban mansion. According to Nick Fury's records, Kruptman lives alone, so there shouldn't be anyone present when you arrive. From the outside, it looks as though the house probably features at least 15 rooms, and maybe 20. I have no idea why Kruppman lives in a mansion, but it's a good thing he does, because he recently had some visitors. So you go up to the house. The doors are locked. If you're a sneaky type, you can pick the locks. If you're a strong type, you can bust the doors down. No major security, just doors are locked. You go inside, it's this opulent mansion. As soon as you go in, there are sleeping bags spread out all over the place. There's all kinds of gear lying around that's obviously military gear, and... Just so you would never have to do a moment's honest detective work in your goddamn life. The considerate Dr. Kruptman just spread out all kinds of photos, documents. There are pictures that show Kruptman in a German army uniform. They show him with known Nazi scientists. There are military papers that show his actual background as a World War II Nazi scientist, as well as copies of his fake papers that he gave to Allied officials in 1945 so he could defect. And he's got some journals out that describe his past working for Nazi scientists. This is information you, the listener, don't have yet. So I'll recap it here. To quote from page two, which you may recall is the page that I praised the pun title, The Man Who Would Be Kang, because there was basically nothing else on that page I could talk about without spoilers. Quote, back in 1943, a time ship belonging to an extraterrestrial race known as the Orfu crash landed in Hitler's Berlin. Fortunately for the Nazis, there were no survivors, and the time craft quickly passed into the hands of the German high command. 
top Nazi scientist Baron Zemo labored over the alien vessel for months before finally penetrating a few of its secrets. Zemo and his assistants, one of whom was uh, Krupman, quote, Zemo and his assistants finally learned enough about the craft to enable them to construct two additional timeships using spare parts scrounged from the original vessel. Now, Klaus Kruppmann was only an assistant mad scientist back in 1943, so he doesn't know the details about what the Nazis did with these timecraft, but the players can read in his mad science diary, quote, a mysterious mission in which three commando teams would be sent out into the future. The notes indicate that one team was sent to the year 2146 and that another was sent to the year 1989. The destination of the third team is not listed. Just below the 1989 entry is a notation that reads in German, Quote, time ship's estimated point of arrival in 1989, and includes a set of latitude, 23.260 degrees north, and longitude, 117.157 degrees west, coordinates. When the team gets around to checking into them, it will find that these coordinates lie directly beneath a San Diego street. Now this is remarkable. First of all, I'm not quite sure how our heroes conclude from longitude and latitude coordinates that something is underground. Secondly, our heroes are very clever indeed to crack this code, because if you look up those actual longitude and latitude coordinates, you will find that they are not on the streets of San Diego, but in the ocean off the coast of China, which is, it's, I mean, look, it's 1989. The author didn't have the internet. The coordinates are, you know, they're within one Pacific Ocean of being accurate. Anyway, I don't know where I would send my commandos if I were a Nazi with a time machine, but I don't think I would choose somewhere underground five decades in the future, because if something unexpected happened in those intervening five decades, like, for example, an earthquake in California, those tunnels that are there in 1943 might collapse, and by 1989, I could be sending my commandos into solid stone to die an anonymous death beneath the streets of San Diego, which, what the fuck is in San Diego anyway? Are these commandos on shore leave? Are they going to go see the tigers at the fucking zoo? Anyway, we're not even to the dumb part yet. So Kruptman has this journal from the old days where he kept a note of where and when the various commando teams were being sent. He's got a second journal that's from the present day detailing his top secret work with Not Quite Shield, and they indicate that Kruptman is not succeeding in building a time machine. He's no Baron Zemo, and even Baron Zemo basically just took the time travel part of the time ship that crashed and stuck it in a shiny new Nazi chassis and pulled a lever. Uh, he didn't really crack time travel. Uh, so Kruppmann's getting frustrated, and it says, quote, In several places in the journal's margins, Kruppmann has included demented ravings detailing his plans for restoring the glory of the Third Reich if and when he manages to construct a working time machine for the government. He's also got a note in the margins that says, to paraphrase, why am I busting my ass trying to build a time machine when I already built a time machine in 1943, and then I sent that time machine into what was then the future, but what is now basically next Thursday? Why don't I just go meet the time machine when it gets here and go help Blues Traveler with their mission, and then they'll go back in time and change history and the Third Reich will last 1,000 years? I don't need to build a time machine. I just need to go give six guys a ride in my van. And that's basically what he did. The thing is, he figured, according to his notes, that the Cavalier project at the base is just the sort of thing the commandos would be looking for. So he just needed to take them to the base. So now that you know the whole history here, the Orfu timecraft crashed, Zemo repaired it, the whole story, all the way up until Kruppmann in the present thinking, let me go rendezvous with that time machine and give the Nazis a ride to Cavalier. Now I can tell you how that keeper was pulled, something I've been dying to do for many pages. Let's circle back ourselves. Let's take the podcast time machine all the way back to page 22 to find out 
how the elite German Blue Yeti ended up in modern-day New Mexico. To quote from page 22, Kruptman's plot. Last night, after most everyone left the base, Kruptman temporarily, quote, borrowed a high-speed shuttle and flew out to rendezvous with the Nazi commando team arriving from the past. The commando's timecraft materialized in the sewers beneath San Diego, California at approximately 1 a.m. Kruptman quickly convinced the team that he was an ally and brought them back to his home in Albuquerque, where they have set up a temporary base of operations. So first of all, remember when Nick Fury told you that no one, and he meant no one, could break onto this base without authorization? Nick Fury, you lying piece of shit. This man, Kruptman, a 76-year-old man with no particular training in stealth, security, espionage, just took a high-speed shuttle from the base all the way to San Diego, California, picked up six time-displaced Nazis from the sewers of San Diego, took them in the shuttle back to his mansion home in New Mexico, helped them get settled in, laid out their little uh, sleeping bags, showed them a lot of pictures from the old days to show that he was a true blue Nazi, then leisurely parked the shuttle back at the base before anyone was the wiser. Does everyone who works on this base just get high-speed shuttle privileges? Or is security so lax that no one is supposed to take out the shuttle, but you know... If you need cream for coffee in the morning, everybody just kind of looks the other way. If at the end of a long workday, you just take the high-speed top-secret shuttle out for a little uh, run to the store for some half and half, just as long as you bring it back before, I don't know, 5 a.m. in the goddamn morning. Anyway, we know that Kruptman wants to help these commandos get to the Cavalier robot. I guess it's theoretically a secret still why he wanted that. I mean, the module treats it like that's information the player characters don't have yet, so I guess I won't spoil it. But like, why would time-traveling Nazis want a powerful weapon? Anyway, Kruptman wants to help them, so he tells them about Cavalier. He gives one of the commandos a micro-scanner from his lab so they can bypass security for the base. And he takes one other essential step to this planned success. Quote, Kruptman also left a pile of lab coats lying just inside the perimeter so the commandos could put them on and move about undetected. (laughs) And then it says in parentheses, there is so much traffic inside the base that it is doubtful that anyone would notice a few new faces. Okay, so we've got this unbreakable security perimeter that can only be defeated by holding up a simple unsecured lab tool to one of the motion detectors and pushing a little button. Then once you get past the unbreakable security perimeter, naturally there's security inside the base, but never fear Nazi commandos. Kruptman has a plan. He's left just a fucking loose pile of lab coats for you to put on over, mind you, your black jumpsuits. And there's so much activity on the base. It's so crowded with high level top secret researchers and espionage agents and security officers that no one is going to notice six never-before-seen people with submachine guns and black jumpsuits with a lab coat over them. It's the perfect plan. Using these lab coats, it'll be no problem for the Nazis to just make their way in to the main testing floor and get to the Cavalier Infantry Support System, which is... Here's the thing. Kruptman doesn't know what the Cavalier is, but he assumes it's the kind of thing the Nazis would want. He further assumes that whatever it is, once the Nazis get to it, they'll be able to somehow commandeer it and somehow use it to somehow break out of base security, since there's no plan for getting these Nazis out of the base. Anyway, once they somehow use the robot to steal the robot and get out, then it will be a simple matter for Kruppmann to meet the Nazis at a predetermined location in the desert, use the shuttle to take them and Cavalier, whatever it turns out to be, back to San Diego, to their timeship, to make a clean getaway. 
Alas, things did not go as planned, and it was because of a strange coincidence. Quote, By some strange coincidence, Kruppman advised the commandos to attempt to infiltrate the base at exactly 7 a.m. the next morning, the time that the Cavalier is being tested. The good doctor did not know that Fury was planning the test and had no idea why the heroes were visiting the lab. Around the facility, things are usually at their slowest early in the morning, so 7 a.m. seemed like a good time. Is 7 a.m. the slowest time of day at the top secret base? Is it slower than, for example, 2.30 a.m.? 4 a.m.? Because if not, maybe that would have been a better time to sneak in. But apparently 7 a.m. is the very slowest time on the base, the fewest people there, therefore the easiest to blend in, wearing black jumpsuits and lab coats. It is both extremely busy and the slowest time of day, depending on which paragraph you're reading at the time. And uh, yeah, so coincidentally, he just happened to send the Nazis in to steal Cavalier at exactly, precisely the second that Nick Fury arranged to start the test. Why? Because if that bizarre coincidence hadn't happened, then the Nazis would have simply taken the inert cavalier, which is not programmed to attack Nazi commandos, and what? I guess the Nazi commandos would have reprogrammed this 1989 prototype cutting-edge robot to blast them out of the base. They don't know how to fucking do that. They would have found the remote control for the robot, if they could conceive of the idea of a remote control and somehow puzzled out how that works, I guess. And then it would have been a simple matter to take it out of the base past any number of well-trained guards armed with firearms against which the Cavalier is defenseless and then walk the Cavalier's slow quadrupedal ass out to a pre-designated spot in the desert where Kruppman, having stolen a high-speed shuttle and just parked it for who knows how long in the desert, would pick them up and take them to San Diego, where they would re-enter their timecraft, which, by the way, just because I'm not going to have a chance to mention it later, isn't big enough for the Cavalier. Like, they, it can't fit in the time machine. This whole, my god. Frankly, why even bother explaining what's supposedly happening behind the scenes in this adventure when it top to bottom makes no goddamn sense? It, it is like the cardinal sin of this adventure, that everything that happens only makes logical sense if you assume that all of the characters have read the script and know what's going to happen next. Like, if someone intends to do something, and in the course of the plot they're going to be prevented from doing that thing, it's like their brain has no ability to see past that moment in time. Because they know they're going to get captured. This whole plan is nonsense. This whole backstory is nonsense. It's hard to pick a dumbest thing on this page. Uh, especially because a lot of the dumbest stuff revealed here is not really on this page. It's revealed to the reader earlier. But I guess if I had to pick the purest example of how dumb this all is, it would be the fact that Klaus Kruppmann, a secretive, elderly, single Nazi scientist, lives in a mansion for no reason. I mean, that is not on its face as dumb as giving the wrong coordinates for the sewers of San Diego, sending time travelers into a future sewer, which seems like a high-risk endeavor. The idea that you would give longitude and latitude coordinates to indicate how far underground something is, Kruppmann's nonsense plan, all that stuff, but none of it is as purely nonsensical as one man living in a mansion because he knew that someday time-traveling Nazis would come to visit and he needed a place for them to stay. Anyway, all this gets dumped on the player characters. They look at these notes, they look at these photos, and then what do they see on the table? Open before them, inexorable as death, as vast and as consuming as the horizon. Quote, there will also be a copy of Hamilton Crane's World War II Inside and Out, all the people, all the places, and all the events lying on Kruppmann's table. He reads it too. Of course he does. No one escapes. Quote, 
The book is open to the pages describing the Blautote commandos, and the heroes will instantly recognize the unit's skull and crossbones symbol as matching the badges they found on the intruders earlier. See chapter 5 for further details. If you somehow managed to skip chapter 5 and evaded World War II Inside and Out, All the People, All the Places, and All the Events by Hamilton Crane, now is your day of reckoning, for here before you, on the table, in Kruppman's inexplicable mansion, which you must visit for the adventure to proceed, you will find another copy of World War II Inside and Out, All the People, All the Places, and All the Events by Hamilton Crane, because it is everywhere. It is your destiny. You may try to walk away. Quote, you should encourage the players to take the book with them for future reference. It holds many clues which will become important later. On the table before you, you see World War II, Inside and Out, All the People, All the Places, and All the Events by Hamilton Crane. I turn around. I walk away. Oh, okay. You walk out of the living room, into the kitchen. On the counter before you, you see World War II, Inside and Out, All the People, All the Places, and All the Events by Hamilton Crane. Maybe you should take this book with you. I run. I run out the door and I run into the desert. Didn't you take the van here? I don't care. I run past the van into the open desert. You run. You sweat. You almost faint in the hot sun. You see no sign of civilization. Finally, dehydrated. You collapse among the scrub. Your arms are red, ravaged by the sun. Your throat is dry. Miles from civilization. You see a lizard, blank-eyed, sunning itself upon the pages of World War II. Inside and out. All the people, all the places, and all the events by Hamilton Crane. Maybe, maybe you should take this book with you. Anyway, now you have the coordinates. You know where the time machine is. It's in San Diego, or possibly off the eastern coast of China. Your next move is clear. You've got to go to that time machine. It's time at last to embark upon your time travel adventure in this time travel adventure. And you know as well as I do that when time travel is involved, there will be splitting headaches. Join me next time for that on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact the show however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Podbean, Gmail, Instagram, etc., etc. This episode's theme music is Robinson's Grand Entry March, performed by the United States Air Force Concert Band. Thanks for listening.